Our text for our sermon this morning is from James chapter 3, and it's about uh, taming the tongue, about our use of our mouths, our words. And so, uh, in connection with that, our scriptural reading, first of all, is from Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 33 to 37. Because there, Jesus uh, himself talks about uh, the same subject. Matthew chapter 12, and we'll begin our reading at verse 33. This is the word of the Lord. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, In connection, once again, with our theme for this morning, let's sing together from Psalm 141, stanzas 2 and 7 morning, uh, which is from James chapter 3, the first 12 verses. If you're looking for it in your Bible, uh, James is a small little book, the first small little book between the much bigger books of Hebrews and Revelation, right towards the end of your Bible. We'll look together at James chapter 3, the first portion. This is the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So far, our reading of our text. Brothers and sisters, have you ever heard before 
that the eyes are the windows of the soul. The idea is if you want to get a look into someone's heart, what they're really thinking, what they're really feeling, then you can just look into their eyes and you'll get a little glimpse deep down inside. And so someone can tell you that they're doing fine, but if you look into their eyes, sometimes can't you get a glimpse into their soul? And you realize maybe they're not actually fine. Or someone can tell you that, yeah, absolutely, they're paying attention. They heard every word. But if you look into their eyes, well, then you can tell you weren't paying attention at all. You have no idea what I just said. Well, in this passage, we get something similar. But James isn't concerned with giving us a glimpse into somebody else's soul. What James has on his mind is he wants each of us to get a glimpse into our own souls. And so he tells us not to look into the eyes, but rather, he says, take a look at our mouths. Take a look at our tongues. And there we'll get a window into deep into our own hearts. And that's one of the major themes of James's letter. He's explaining that if you have true faith in Jesus Christ and you really believe in him and trust, he's ransomed you and purchased your salvation, you'll begin to see evidence in your life. And today he says, focus in on the tongue and we'll see what we can see. We will study this portion of God's word under the following theme. We need God to tame our tongues. We'll see it in three parts. First, because our tongues are powerful. Secondly, because our tongues are destructive and untamable. And thirdly, because our tongues speak from our hearts. So first of all, we'll consider that our tongues are powerful. And so even though this section is about the tongue, James begins by saying, Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And why would he start like that? It's because James is starting already uh, with each of us his argument. He's trying to prove his point. His first point is that tongues are extremely powerful and we take them for granted. We throw around words and don't realize uh, the effect that they can have, how powerful they are. And first he talks about teachers. Because teachers, what are they often called to do? To talk a whole lot. Sometimes they're given a literal high-up platform to speak on, and people listen to them for quite a while. And James wants us to realize that our tongues, they're powerful things, and they're difficult things to control. In fact, James says something shocking. He says they're the most difficult thing to control. He says we all stumble in many ways, including himself. This is James, the, the great pillar of the early church, the brother of Jesus. And he says we all stumble. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James is saying that we all sin in what we say, whether we realize it or not. And people in this church contact, they were trying to elevate themselves to become teachers. And James throws out a caution. His caution is about the difficulty of the tongue to control, but also just, first of all, the power of the tongue. And in order to really convince us of how powerful the tongue is, how powerful our words are, because we often just take them for granted, don't we? How much do we talk each day? We just throw around words without thinking of the consequences, the, the, the ramifications these words can have. But James gives us two illustrations to say that we shouldn't underestimate the power of the tongue. First, he compares our tongues to the bit in the mouth of a horse. And so I'm not sure if many of you know, but not that long ago, uh, just less than a year ago, 
I moved here from Hamilton, Ontario, and I grew up downtown Hamilton. And so I had pretty much never seen horses. I imagine the same is uh, true of many of you living here in the city of Surrey. Uh, but in Hamilton, at least, I don't know if you have them here, uh, but we had some police horses. I don't know why, but the police horse, uh, the police force had like 10 horses that they would just ride around town on on occasion. I got to see them a few times, and the thing that struck me right away when I saw them is how big and powerful those horses looked. They, they were at least eight feet tall. They were weighed uh, up to 2,500 pounds, as much as a small car, and they looked like they were pure muscle. Well, James wants us to think of these huge, powerful horses and think about how all that power is harnessed by one tiny little piece of metal, the bit in their mouth. Next, James wants us to think of a ship's rudder. Maybe you've been uh, to the coast of Vancouver and you've seen the huge ships going out to sea. He wants us to think of these huge ships uh, beaten by strong winds and waves and realize that they're steered by a relatively small piece of metal, just the rudder. That's what directs them wherever they need to go. And likewise, James says in verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. That just simply means it is extremely powerful. And when used properly, the tongue is actually an incredible gift from God. We should reflect on that for a couple minutes. Think about what a gift God has given us in our words. With our words, we get to know people, don't we? That's the primary way we get to know people. We can form friendships. We can form relationships. We can fall in love primarily by speaking to one another. With our words, we exchange information. We ask questions and we learn. We use our, our words to make plans. We even use them to sing praises to God or to call out to God or others for help in our time of need. Our tongues are a wonderful blessing from the Lord and we take them for granted. And James doesn't want us to. Jesus himself is the perfect example of how the tongue is a powerful tool. Think about Jesus for a minute. The, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He came down to earth and what was his primary weapon of choice, so to speak, while he was here? It was simply his tongue, his words. When he came across uh, harsh church leaders who, who were uh, manipulating the scriptures and putting heavy burdens on the people, what tool did Jesus primarily use? His words. He, he rebuked them. And when Jesus came across people who were hurting and suffering, especially under the weight of sin and their failures, what did Jesus primarily use? He says in Mark chapter 1, what he came to do primarily is preach. That's how he primarily bound up the brokenhearted and the wounded. But like any powerful gift from God, sinful people like us who stumble in many ways, we can find ways to turn it into a weapon of mass destruction. And first, we shouldn't think of humanity, but we should think back to the Garden of Eden and think when the devil decided to turn humanity against God, what weapon did he choose? Likewise, the tongue. Simply twisting God's words a little bit. And if you continue reading on in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, you'll read about the Tower of Babel. Sinful humanity had been spiraling down into greater and greater sin, and they were getting too powerful. They were getting too far from God. And so what did God do? 
He simply confused their language. Our tongues are a powerful gift. We can think of this uh, in huge uh, scales. We can think of this throughout the Bible, but I don't think we have to stay there. I think if we're honest, we'll see the tongue is more powerful than we give it credit for in our own lives. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I imagine there are people here today who can think back one, two, five, ten, maybe decades, and they can remember times when someone's reckless words pierce like swords. Maybe it was the reckless words of a sibling or a parent or a teacher or, or someone they thought was their friend. And their reckless words left a sword wound that still hurts today. Hopefully we can also think of times in our lives when we were hurting, when we were suffering, and someone's wise words brought healing. They shared the good news with us of our new identity in Jesus Christ. They, they comforted us and encouraged us. We felt healed. Brothers and sisters, our tongues are powerful. We don't give them the credit that they deserve. We need to wonder if there are people running around with sword wounds from times that we pierce them with our reckless words. We don't even realize it. We need to wonder how often could we have bind up hurting people? How often could we have used our tongue to bring healing in people's time of need? This leads us to our next question, our second point. How do we use our tongues? Do we use them for good or for evil? James doesn't leave us to answer it ourselves, but rather he gives us the answer. We see that James's answer is our second point. Our tongues are destructive and untamable. So, Jesus, or so James has used a couple of great illustrations. He's thought made us think of a, a big horse and a big ship. These are awesome, powerful things, useful things. But now James uses another illustration. He compares our tongues to a small spark or a small fire that can cause an enormous wildfire. And if you've been watching the news at all uh, this summer, then you'll understand something of wildfires, won't you? Maybe some of you have been camping and seen some of the devastation or fled from the devastation. James's first readers, uh, they're with you. They knew a lot about wildfires. They knew that the towns that they built, the farms that they, they grew up produce in, their livelihood with a small spark or fire could all be gone. Devastated. That's what James wants us to think of. He says that our tongues can shoot off these tiny sparks and cause a huge amount of damage. Think of maybe gossip and how badly it can ruin someone's reputation, ruin their life like a wildfire. Then James goes on to use even more strong words. He says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, that it stains the whole body, and it sets the entire course of life on fire, and that it itself is set on fire by hell. You should just go through all of those quickly, one by one. That the tongue is a world of unrighteousness means that you and I, we can use our tongues to commit any kind of sin imaginable. Uh, Alistair Begg, he says what this uh, phrase means is that for any type of evil that you or I struggle with, maybe it's anger or, or gossip or pride or whatever it is, 
Alistair Begg says, that sort of evil finds an ally in an uncontrolled tongue. Next, James says that it stains the whole body. Sinclair Ferguson explains it like this. Imagine you're going into a tall building and you walk into an elevator and someone walks in behind you and before you turn around and see them, you smell them. Maybe you smell cigar, maybe you smell some kind of perfume, whatever it is. You turn around and your perception of them is already changed, already affected by whatever you smelled. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, our tongues stain our whole body. They can completely change our perception of somebody else. They can completely change someone's perception of us. I wonder if you've experienced that in your life. You've heard someone say something and you're like, I never would have thought they would say that. You can't quite look at them the same. Maybe you've said something and you're like, I can't believe I said that. And I hope that doesn't change how they look at me. Next, James says, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. There are two ways to take this. First, we can think of our little daily life cycles. Uh, I, I don't know any of you, but I know myself. There are times in my little daily life cycle where my tongue, which is always with me from when I first wake up to when I go to bed, unfortunately, it can cause little fires. Maybe it's when I get rudely woken up by my three-year-old in the morning. Maybe that's when I'm more likely to start a fire with my tongue. Maybe it's before I have my coffee. Maybe it's after a long day, a busy day at work. How about for you? Maybe there's times when your tongue is more likely to start a fire. Maybe it's when you're at work. There you wouldn't talk like anywhere else. Maybe at school. I don't know. There's another way to understand this. Our life cycle is set on fire. Uh, or the tongue can set our life cycle on fire. So you can think of when we're very young to when we're very old. I can tell you again, my three-year-old, he already knows how to set fires with his tongue. And that doesn't go away, does it? When he gets to a teenager, I imagine it probably won't be better. What do you teenagers think? Can teenagers start fires in their family with their tongue? Absolutely. Or in their friend groups? How about young adults? Uh, how about middle-aged people? How about when you get up to the retirement home? Your tongue is always there and it's always capable of starting fires, doing damage, calling destruction. That's what James is talking about. And then he says one last in this list, uh, a final devastating point. He says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. That means that we often forget how powerful the tongue is. We don't think about how, how much damage our reckless words can do to our husband or our wife or to our kids or to our friends or to our church family or to Christ's name in the community. We don't think about it. But the devil does. He knows how destructive our tongues are. And he wants to use that to his advantage. And so this is getting depressing. And the question is, what's the solution? That we need to tame our tongues right so they don't do all this damage. That's what our inclination is, and it's a good inclination. But James tells us explicitly, we're hopeless if we go in alone. James says in verse 7, Every animal can be tamed and has been tamed by, man, uh, by mankind, but we cannot tame the tongue on our own. It's interesting that James uses this. You have to get back into James's headspace if you can. Uh, back then, the philosophers and the poets and the great thinkers, what they loved about humanity, what they would brag about, is that mankind had tamed all sorts of animals. Mankind could tame dogs, bears, lions, whales. This was a huge point of pride. How great is man? 
But yet James says your tongue and your own mouth, you cannot tame on your own. And, and it's true. James is absolutely right. If you're honest with yourself and I'm honest with myself, I'm sure we can see hints that this is true in our own life. How often have you said something hurtful and you instantly regretted it? Maybe even as you were saying it and you wish you could take it back. How often have you said something rude or hurtful to your, your family or your significant other, those that you love most and you would least want to hurt? Maybe uh, as you were getting ready to come to church today to, to worship our God together, maybe even then you used your tongue to lash out to family members on the way over here. How often do we have it that we come to church and we worship our God together, we go out to the parking lot, close the car doors, and then what starts coming out of our mouth? Maybe is even unhelpful, unupbuilding, harmful little fires about the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. The truth is we cannot tame our tongues on our own. As I was studying for this passage, I came across a story by Paul Tripp, uh, who you might have heard of. He's a well-known pastor. He mentioned one time he was getting ready for church. So they wanted to go to an Easter service. And Easter services are wonderful, aren't they? You hear so clearly the gospel uh, of how great our God is, how holy, but how compassionate and loving. And so Paul Tripp was getting ready to go, and he told his wife that it was very important to him to be on time. And he mentioned that for a reason. They had a tendency of being a little bit late. And so he said he would get their oldest kids ready and asked her to get their youngest, their nine-year-old ready and just make sure that they please leave on time. And it came close to time to leave and then actually time to leave and then past time to leave. And Paul Tripp and their older kids, they were waiting outside. Well, uh, his wife and their nine-year-old were still frantically inside getting ready. And so Paul Tripp mentioned that for some reason, he can't explain why. He went back into the house and he started making unhelpful, unloving comments to his wife. And he didn't stop until their nine-year-old said, Hey, Dad, is that how God wants you to use your tongue? We can't control our tongues on our own. By now, I hope we can think of maybe a couple examples in our lives of times where we said things we shouldn't have said, or maybe we didn't say things that we should have said. Times we could have healed, but instead we didn't. But just imagine for a second if someone printed off a transcript of everything you've ever said and compared it with what you could have said, with what you should have said. The damage that you and I that we did cause rather than the healing we could have brought with our tongues. Would you want to see that transcript? I wouldn't want to see mine. I wouldn't want that clear of a glimpse into my own soul. And why can't we control our tongues? That's our third and our final point. James tells us it's because our tongues speak from our hearts. That's not the answer we want to hear. Often we make excuses when we say something hurtful, right? We say something hurtful to our spouse, but then we try and explain, yeah, but I was super hungry, hadn't had breakfast yet. Or we say I hadn't had my coffee yet, something like that. And uh, so we want to say that that wasn't really us. But rather, James and Jesus, as we read earlier, they don't let us get away with that. As we read in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. There's a reason why when we're thirsty or hungry or when we feel pain or when we feel scared, 
that these things are the things that come out of our mouths, and it's because of the state, the filthy state of our hearts. For those of us here who have grown up in this church, uh, for probably uh, many years we've known our confession, our, our confession that we are conceived and born in sin, that we are totally depraved. But yet, it still shocks us. But that is what James wants to bring our attention to here. He tells each of us, look at your own tongue. Look at your own words. You'll get a glimpse into your heart. And you'll see that your confession is true. We, our hearts are desperately sick. But the good news is that in spite of how desperately sick we are, in spite of the fact that I would not want to see this transcript of what I said, that I don't want that glimpse into my soul, The good news is that God has that transcript. He can look right into our souls. And yet God loves us so much anyway that he sent a Savior to cleanse our filthy hearts, to cleanse our filthy tongues. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who took every sin, every fault upon himself, and he paid for it in full on the cross. What a Savior. What a God that we have. And we get a little glimpse into Jesus' heart at one point in his ministry that I think is just profound. Like we already said, when do we see the filthy contents of our heart best? It's often when we're thirsty, when we're in agony, when we're scared. Well, when was Jesus Christ our Savior? When was he, in, when was he thirsty? When was he in agony? When was he scared? It was when he was on the cross. And what poured out of his heart even then? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That is the heart of our God. That's the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God. And now we run into his arms asking for forgiveness and asking for transformation from the inside out. That he might cleanse our hearts as he already did by his blood. He might cleanse our hearts by his word and spirit. And that he might reclaim our tongues as powerful tools for himself. And we see some very good news in scripture. After Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he ascended. And what did he tell the disciples to do? Maybe you remember. He told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. Because he was going to equip them and give them just what they needed. And do you remember what happened? On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. And in what form did it come down? Flaming tongues fell down on their heads. And in that way, Jesus reclaimed the disciples, the scared disciples who had done damage with their tongues too. He reclaimed their tongues, their hearts, their lives for himself. And what did the disciples start to do? They started to preach. To tell the good news of this Savior. The one who can wash us clean from the inside out. And thousands and thousands believed. The gospel went far and wide. Forgiveness for all of our sins. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And now our prayer today is that Jesus might forgive us. And he might transform us. He might pour out his spirit upon us and reclaim our tongues. So that with our tongues, we can upbuild our spouse. Not cut down our spouse. Upbuild our church not cut down the church, that we cannot build our children, that we can praise and magnify the name of our God 
and see the gospel message go out as the disciples saw so that other people too can know that there is change there is transformation there is a god who forgives and heals and transforms so now we pray that as we study our scripture as we study the gospel message that we might be transformed from the inside out that's what we see at the end of our passage here james mentions with our tongues we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god again james the pillar of the church including himself here and he realizes that means he needs to be transformed more from the inside and on the outside and then he gets to the heart of the matter he says does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water can a fig tree my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs neither can a salt pond yield fresh water what that means is you can't change this on your own neither can i we can't escape our sins from our on our own all we can do is run to jesus christ i find it remarkable that jesus christ says that he is the living water we can go to him and drink that means to believe in him and out of us will flow rivers of living water as well likewise about the fig tree and the the grapevine of course jesus himself says that he is the true vine and apart from him we can do nothing so brothers and sisters this week when we see us using these powerful tools in a way that causes destruction and hurt let's run to christ Let's run to the living water, to the true vine, and ask that he might transform us hearts first, and then our tongues as well. That we might bring praise and glory and upbuilding to uh, our Savior and to his church. Amen.